Welcome to the Rooftop Leadership Podcast, where today we're talking about ending the loose talk of war in America. You know, a lot of people since the violence started, wow, this past summer of 2020, and then it's just continued to spiral and escalate in different manifestations. Most recently, as we're taping this right now on the leading edge of the transfer of power between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, we've already seen a spike in violence. We've seen an increase in violence. We've seen uh, a lot of reporting saying that more violence is to come, that there are planned armed demonstrations in all 50 states. And it's on both sides of the aisle, to be very clear here. It's, 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 it's not just a conservative thing. It's a liberal thing. There, there are groups who are, who are actively planning civil unrest, armed civil unrest. And so a lot of people ask me, particularly in the last couple of weeks, how I see this thing ending. And, and, I, and, I, and I guess the, 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 the origin of that question comes from my time in special forces, uh, my time as a Green Beret operating in rough places around the world, like Colombia during the 90s, uh, Afghanistan, a little time in Iraq. And certainly I don't have the market cornered by any means on how this thing is going to end. There are people far, far, far smarter than me on policy and, and civil unrest, and, and you don't have to look far to get an opinion on how things are going to go. But I do believe that I have spent enough time in trust-depleted, violent places, again, operating as a Green Beret whose, whose charter is to go into these places and work by, with, and through indigenous people to help them stand up on their own. And we certainly didn't get this right all the time either, but that is our overarching mission. And so by definition, we are operating in these trust-depleted areas. So trust is, is low, risk is high, the stakes are high, and the only way for our small little team to even survive is to establish human connections across these, diff across these different trust gaps with people who are very different than us, who look very different than us, who likely have a different religion, just who fundamentally don't like us in the beginning. And there's, there's all of these various in-groups and out-groups that we just drop ourselves into. And all of these groups are competing for status. They are competing for resources. It is, it is true clan behavior in these places. You typically don't have a strong state authority. You have a, 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 a basically a, a tribal society or a clan society where in-groups and out-groups, uh, old, this is where we all come from. This is the traditional form of civil society where we group as mammals, we group as humans to protect ourselves, to acquire resources and to protect those resources. And that's exactly what we would find ourselves in as Green Berets. And oftentimes the societies, the civil society, the formal civil society that you and I are very used to in the first world, you know, things like abundance, where there's enough to go around. You know, you're not literally fighting each night for food your material needs or shelter. Uh, as a general rule in our society, we have abundance that we have uh, an open market. We have emphasis that's actually placed on the individual. 
in a liberal democracy such as the United States. If you look at our laws and our codes, now whether or not that's properly enforced or whether or not that's truly afforded to um, all all origins and, and all ethnicities and groups, now that certainly there's work to be done there. But as a general rule, the, the principles and characteristics of the society we live in here in the United States are very different than the places I dropped into as a Green Beret. Um, and that's what I'm wanting to point out here is that these places were very – there was a, a sense of scarcity. Um, there was uh, more emphasis on the group than the individual. You, what you wanted as an individual really didn't matter. Your obligations were to your clan, your group, and those groups would actively compete uh, around honor and shame and vengeance and feud. And when it did go into feud, let me tell you, it got ugly quick. Blood feuds, whether it's the Hatfields and McCoys, the Crips and the Bloods, uh, or these tribes in Afghanistan, Alakazai and Gilzai, it doesn't matter. It gets ugly fast. It's uh, salt in the earth, kill the firstborn kind of warfare. And it always has been. And, and that's why you look at a country like Afghanistan, who frankly has been at war for 40 years and even before that has struggled to have any kind of you know, a semblance of, of, the, of a civil society that we know and understand. It's because these group dynamics uh, really, really, you can only get so far with it. And, and then it just becomes all out feud. And um, that's where I'm coming from. Okay, so as I talk to you today about ending the loose talk of war and, and then a answering that, that overarching question, how do I think all of this will end? That's where I'm coming from. So what I'm going to ask you to do, if you don't mind, is I'm going to give you a real, as honest an answer on that as I can and what I think it means for our country. More importantly, what I think it means for you and your family and your immediate loved ones and your immediate state of life. I, and I hope that you'll understand that. What I am going to ask is for you to properly hear this is that you right now take a couple of deep breaths, belly breaths, expand on the inhale, squeeze belly to spine on the exhale, and allow your, to feel your feet on the floor, kind of set your biases aside, let that emotional temperature drop down, let your toes uncurl, and let's, let's not protect our in-group during this podcast. Let's just listen. Give yourself, gift yourself the opportunity to just lift, listen. And perhaps just open your mind a little bit to some perspective that maybe you didn't have before. And that's all I'm offering here is perspective. I by no means pretend to have all these answers. But what I do have is my own experience and my own perspective that I'd like to share with you on how I think this thing ends if we stay on the current path that we're on. And it's all informed from my time as a Green Beret working in really, really high-risk, trust-depleted places. Because I titled this episode, Ending the Loose Talk of War, for a reason, because I believe that is exactly um, what the perilous path that we're on right now. I, I believe that we are on a very dangerous path because of the loose talk of war that is emanating right now. Now, there's lots of other underlying reasons. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of justified grievances that groups are bringing forward, I mean, plenty of them, and lots of work to be done in our country. However, um, that has been eclipsed by overt violence and, more importantly, a, a spiral of primal group behavior toward even higher levels of violence that could approximate what I saw in some of the most trust-depleted violent places on earth if we don't stop the loose talk of war. 
I'll give you an example. Uh, just last week, I read an article in an online, it's an online conservative article, very popular. Um, I try to read articles from, from, from all sides to just give me a, you know, a, a shared perspective of what people are thinking. And in this article, it was pretty thoughtful on some of the points. And it talked about how many of the voters felt disenfranchised on the conservative side in the, in the millions. And, and that if those voters are not acknowledged and if they don't feel heard or validated, and these were the last words of the article, this will end in civil war. And I just sat there for a second as I read those words again. I wanted to make sure I read them right. And then I just looked up and, and I just let out a deep exhale because this was a journalist who was essentially predicting civil war. If, you know, if a certain position wasn't adhered to. Well, I then turned my attention to another article, uh, and it was this was written by a liberal, and the liberal was freely throwing around um, the word insurrectionist, and the word insurrectionist, and this is a by the way a very very well respected liberal um, uh, platform, and the, the the original term insurrectionist was assigned to the the. The people who stormed the Capitol um, on behalf of what they were claiming to be on behalf of, uh, of Donald Trump and, and what happened in the election. But then the article expanded and it started to assign that label to other people uh, that weren't necessarily in that place and started to imply that insurrection was much broader and and ran much deeper than just the folks who stormed that capital and even started and I and, and this was not just in this article but I've seen in others that that label was assigned to anyone who voted for Donald Trump or who had conservative views and it was striking to me that these two camps conservative and liberal were were using this loose talk of war and what I, by what I mean by that is when you start to use words like civil war when you start to use words like insurrectionist or you start to use words like insurgent those are very you know words matter in a uh, in a in, in any society but certainly in a liberal democracy when you start to use talk of war that are fused with what uh, Sebastian Younger calls contempt that one would normally reserve for one's enemies, then you are starting to look at someone who is an opponent or an opposition to your opinion, and you're now starting to migrate them into the camp of the enemy. Now, this is what humans have done for thousands and thousands of years, and we need to be very mindful of this because we have become so dangerously disconnected from our own human nature that we don't even realize we're doing this. Right. We're getting we're we're being mobilized. We're being radicalized in many ways into the deepest, the deepest spirals of our belief that we now start to transform the humans, by the way, citizens, American citizens, just like us. The one, you know, we're assigning this 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 viewpoint, this 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 label to another American citizen that 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 they are the enemy. They're not no longer an opponent to our position. They're no longer opposition of just you know ideas and thoughts. They have now become the enemy, and we're using the same language to describe our enemy that uh, tribes use in Afghanistan to conduct ethnic cleansing, or in Africa. And this happens all over the world, and it's been happening for thousands and thousands of years. Yet somehow we sit in our ivory towers, uh, our first world social evolution, and we think that we are above it. 
that we are think we think we are too refined and too educated to demonstrate such behavior. But those people in that camp, oh no, 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 they are disgusting. And they are vile and they are unwashed and they deserve exactly the worst things that we can give them. And when you start to use that kind of language, you have slipped into a precipice that is not civil discourse, that is not liberal democracy. And no matter how justified you think your position is, you are now partaking in the loose talk of war. And where this ends is very predictable. You know, when you start to do that and you start to look at how people are doing it, um, it, 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 it starts to go into the realm of primal violence where we start to take actions against other groups that we would only take on our enemies. And, and, and then that feeds and they do the same. And then that feeds and they do the same. And pretty soon you've gone from rule of law, which we take for granted in this country. I see it all the time to rule of the clan. And rule of the clan, you know, is is in-group, out-group behavior, primal in-group, out-group behavior competing over resources and status. And it's manifested in blood feud. And it is terrible. It's terrible. I've seen it my entire adult life. And and to think that our behavior right now where we are is, is not going in that direction, again, any leader who says that's not the case and simply says it's those people over there, that leader is just as deluded and that leader is a divisionist. That, that is what I am claiming to be a divisionist and they are practicing divisionism. Anytime from our group, from, from the safety of our perceived in-group, that we assign contemptuous labels to quote unquote them, while claiming moral superiority for our own justified position, we are practicing divisionism. We are practicing divisionism, and that is the antithesis to liberal democracy because it goes beyond opposition to thoughts and ideas, and it gets into actually clan behavior, to dividing with contempt with a capital D, and it's very dangerous because of the way that it manifests. And you're starting to see it right now. But this is my shot across the bow to some of the leaders who are listening to this. Many of you will agree with me and you'll say, that's absolutely right, Scott, and we have got to stop this. So those people in that camp need to stop doing this. Yet it's happening within your own camp as well, but you're not using the intellectual honesty to call it out. Let me give you a case in point. To, to call the people who stormed the Capitol insurrectionists but yet then somehow find a way to justify those who established the Chaz zone and to look at them with moral superiority is, in my opinion, ideologically, intellectually, and morally bankrupt. And it's reflective of one's own spiral into the tribal abyss. And so if the shoe fits, wear it. I'm not going to apologize for that statement. And I, 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 I believe it's an, ac- an accurate filter to apply to a range of, of groups, whether you're conservative, Republican, whether you're liberal, Democrat, take what I just said and ask yourself, are you doing that? You know, are you assigning labels that are anti-American, they're anti-American, they're fascist, and then turning around and justifying very similar outward behavior to your own group because it's morally superior? And if you are, then you are a divisionist with a capital D, and it's very dangerous. And the outcome of that, in my assessment, is organizational collapse. And not if, but when. 
because a society that speaks with contempt of one another cannot stand together very long. And I'm paraphrasing from Sebastian Younger in his book, Tribe. But I found that to be very, very true. And I'm basing this on almost two decades of deployments into some of the most trust-depleted places on earth, where the very symptoms of what we're seeing now are just fully manifested in those places. In other words, I had the opportunity to look at the Petri dish of what we're doing now, fully realized a few years down the road in places like Afghanistan. And that's the path we're on. And what really worries me about that is that that the leaders of our country right now, the formal leaders who have the power, who have the microphones, they are willfully, I think they know this, and many of them are willfully going in this direction anyway. And and then others are just ignorant of it. They don't have the game to lead, yet they're they're in position and they they're on they're going off a cliff and they don't know it. And then there's other folks, some of who are listening to this podcast, have gotten caught up in this. We and, and we and we've gone into this trance-like state to support our position where we're literally demonstrating semi-conscious primal behavior of revenge and feud, and we don't even realize it. It's it's that old seeing red thing that happens where we've gone into highly aroused emotional anger and we're acting out in ways that are not helpful. And we just take a step back from it and go, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. You know, after a fight with your spouse or something, I cannot believe I said that. I think for many of us, that's where we are right now. Regardless, it is the devil's cocktail. As David Phillips, communications expert says, it is the devil's cocktail. We are drinking from the devil's cocktail now and we have to sit that thing aside. We have to sit that thing aside because the ultimate risk here is organizational collapse in our lifetime and sooner than we think. If we don't pull this back, if we don't pull back the loose talk of war. And, you know, my position on this is a lot of people aren't ready to hear this right now because they're so angry and so physiologically detached from their own nature. They're acting out in such a tribal way that they can't hear what I'm saying. And and I, and I get it. And I know that there are these churn tornadoes everywhere, these twisters and these sinkholes that are opening up in different places. And when that happens, people aren't ready to listen. No one's listening to each other. But my promise to you is we'll be here because there will come a time when people will look up from from the churn, well, they will look up from the chaos and the bloodshed and, and the division, and they'll say, my God, what have we done? What have we done? And how do we go back to some place where we can actually be a community again? And when that happens, we'll be here. And I'm hoping that it's before we go down the road of what's happened in other tribal places like Afghanistan and Iraq. But, you know, that's up to us as leaders, isn't it? And so my promise is that we'll be here regardless. But if we go down that road, if we continue on this spiral of churn that we're in right now, this, this divisionism where we divide other groups and other people to advance our own agenda using contempt and talk of loose talk of war, what can we expect? What can you expect? What can you expect in your little town? What can you expect in your flat in Manhattan? What can you expect just a few blocks down from the capital in D.C. and even in rural America? Well, first of all, you can expect bloodshed. If we stay on this path, you can expect bloodshed and you can expect it on levels that we haven't seen or experienced in our civil society. And it will not discriminate. And this type of bloodshed, when it goes into the order of feud, i.e., justified groups fighting each other for resources and, and power and status, it does not, it is very ugly. And oftentimes the people who pay the, the dearest price or the people who have nothing to do with it, they're just trying to raise their kids. So just know that. 
that the, that the, that the escalation, because, because what happens is when the rule of law gives way to the rule of the Klan, um, the state no longer has a monopoly on violence. Please hear what I'm saying here. The state no longer has a monopoly on violence. The groups do. The groups hold their own monopoly on violence. And if you'd like to see what that looks like, I invite you to direct your attention to any country where tribalism is still very much at play and civil order, rule of law has decayed. And we're just look where the state doesn't have a monopoly on violence and, and informal groups do. Just take a look and, and, and really be intellectually honest and dive into that because that, that has nothing to do uh, with anything other than human nature laid bare in its most primal form without responsible leadership that is socially evolved. So take a look at that. There's going to be a spiral of bloodshed. What else can you expect? You can expect a move very rapidly from abundance to scarcity. Right, Because typically as humans and animals, we live in an arena that is scarce on resources. There's not enough to go around. And it's only in our very recent history where we've acquired enough, right? enough of the material needs on Maslow's pyramid. I think you'd be hard pressed to show that other than a small percentage of Americans that those needs aren't available at a material level, at a basic level. And, you know, the way to be intellectually honest about that comparatively would be to look at places, like I said, where um, status society, tribal society, primal society is more prevalent and compare them and look at the levels of scarcity and levels of abundance. And again, we have we have um, in this material world that we're in, you know, we've moved to a level of abundance that is over the top. You know, it's over the top. It's 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 lopsided materialism. It's it's become greed based. You know, but but we've all become accustomed to that in one form or another. So what you could expect, if we continue on this path with the loose talk of war, the contempt we're throwing for each other, is a move, an overt move from abundance to scarcity. If you think the toilet paper crisis of the great pandemic of 2020 was troubling, just wait, <laughs> just wait, just wait until rule of the clan eclipses rule of law. And moving goods and services requires moving through tolls that different in-groups and out-groups put in place so that they can continue to function. And my friend Arash, who grew up in Afghanistan during the Civil War of the 90s, said that when he would drive from Helmand province in the south to Herat in the west of Afghanistan, he was stopped at tolls, on average, of about every half mile on a 200-mile route made to exit his car with his vehicles, held at gunpoint, sometimes face down in the road by these groups while portions of his belongings were taken from him. And this, and you carried extra portions so that you could just give your stuff away along the route. Now, if you think I'm being extreme, fine. But again, we'll, we'll let history be the judge of that and we'll let civil society be the judge of that because those are the ways that groups behave when there is not a uh, state or rule of law that keeps that in check. The group becomes the epicenter of behavior, not the individual. So they're going to do what they have to do to achieve resources and status. And so it's going to move from abundance to scarcity, and you'll have very little control over that. And the only way you'll even have a, a remote chance of moving back towards some level of enough will be to go shoulder to shoulder with your group and go against other groups to get what you need. And that gets old real fast. Next, I think what we can expect to see is moving from rule of law to rule of clan. Again, rule of law is one of those invisible 
truths that we have in our first world civil society, and we take it for granted. The unfortunate thing about rule of law where the state has a control on violence, and certainly there's lots of problems with it. We have a lot of work to be done, and I get that. Um, But if you want to know what it looks like going from rule of law to rule of clan, go to a place where clan rule or honor-based society still exists and spend some quality time there. Just spend some quality time navigating that arena and you'll have a healthy comparative analysis that you can make up your own mind. But until such time, I will just offer my perspective is it's not very pleasant. If you were brought up and raised in a rule of law society, transitioning to a rule of clan society is, for the reasons I stated earlier and a whole lot of other ones, primarily your status as an individual is completely altered. This ability to just do what you want to do because it's your dream and you want to pursue it, you know, the inalienable right of freedom, so to speak, that's guaranteed in a constitution, that that shit's gone. Your obligations now and your status as an individual is to your group, right? It's not about what you think is best. It's about what's best for the group. Now, think about that in the context of things for a while. And it becomes an, an entirely limiting behavior. And, and it really goes against our human nature in any, any ways for, for, for social evolution. And the trust that you know will change as well. Uh, trust in, 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 on the path that we're on goes from bridging trust, where you bridge beyond your in-group, and you can trust people of different ethnicities and religions and socioeconomic status. You can build relationships across whatever gaps you want. Think about that in your life. You've been able to do that. No one's really stopped you from that, right? But when you go full bore into the direction that we're going, where group dynamics are at the helm, if you think about it right now, if you have a relationship with someone who's of a different political opinion than you, um, then you likely can't have a relationship with them. The group won't allow it, right? Your own belief system will not allow it. You think, oh, Scott, come on, man, that could never happen in America. Really? Really? How many people have you unfriended on Facebook this year because they felt a different way than you did? Because they were against... uh, because they were against uh, Americans owning weapons or assault weapons, unfriending them, not my friend anymore, even though forget about the fact you grew up with this person or that you you have a great relationship with this person. Oh, Scott, that could never happen. Really? It's happening right now. You know, how many Thanksgivings and holidays have just been trashed? I mean, there are people in my own family that that conversations, we don't talk about things right now because it will literally go primal. And, and, the, and not only will the conversation be over, the relationship will be over. It's happening all over the place. So if you think that we're not going to go from that bridging trust, which, by the way, that kind of social capital is what makes America the, you know, such an amazing country in terms of the, the, our output, our efficiency, what we're able to achieve and do is because individuals can build relationships and networks outside of their own in-group. They're not limited to that little circle of people who look like them and believe like them. But if we surrender to that 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 bonding trust approach where you bond with the people in your group and that's it, and everybody else is the enemy, then it will be severely limiting in the outputs that we do in the world. Right? That bonding trust takes over. It eclipses bridging trust and we we go into that primal state where the only people you're going to work with, market to, speak to, are the people who believe like you believe or who look like you look. It it, it runs against this entire true notion of diversity, 
right? And, and you know, of what, of what Alexander de Tocqueville, when he first came to America in the early 1800s, and he, he said that he was amazed at our melting pot. And he said it was individualism rightly understood. So it was individualism, but with a sense of community and a tie to our, our, our traditional past of, 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 of grouping. So it was like this balance. And granted, there's a lot, you know, this was during a time of, of slavery and women couldn't vote. So it certainly lacked much to be desired. But we, we have made advances since that time and we have the potential to continue to make advances. But will we really make advances if we are in that bonding trust dynamic? Will we really start to advance all individuals toward true freedom? How does that even, how is that even possible if each group is competing for its own interests? I'd love to know that. Someone share that with me. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see how that works because I've never seen that happen. It actually goes the other way. So we are going to move from bridging trust to bonding trust. And the final thing that I'll say that you can expect on this is, is, is blood feud. You know, you're going to see blood feud where groups are exacting revenge from other groups for power and resources and revenge. Because that's what groups do. That's that's how we've maintained our honor. See, honor and shame in a in a in a in a in a bonding trust society, in a group society, in a status society, a tribal society, honor and shame is everything. Honor and shame is everything because that's how you stay alive. You maintain your honor in the context of your group. And your group maintains its honor in the context of other groups. Now think about that in the terms of like, so if you are, you know, if you are anti-Trump and anti-Republican, anti-conservative, then you maintain your status in the context of your group. And you have to do things that will allow you to stay in that status. Anyone outside of that group is the enemy. And they are actively competing for your resources, your scarcity, your power. And you cannot allow them to do that. And there's only one way to stop that, isn't there? Right? So, so, so you take action against them. And it starts to get incrementally. It's, it's insidious and small, but it starts to happen. And you take action against them. And then guess what? Well, they're competing for the same status, the same power, the same resources. They take action against you, except instead of against you, it's against your uncle or your child on their way to school. What do you, why do you think gang violence is so god-awful ugly, right? They don't just gun down the person who, who dissed them or shamed them publicly. This is just tribal dynamics. They gun down the person who has status in relation to that person's group. And then, of course, it just goes on and on and on. And these kinds of feuds last forever. You know, the Hatfields and McCoys lasted for generations and generations. It's emotional. It's vengeful. And it has no rhyme or reason after a certain point. And again, I'm just giving you my perspective. This is what I've seen in those rough places. And when you walk it back and you look at what got them there, this, this behavior that we're starting to embark on now, this loose talk of war, this divisionism is what takes you down that road. Now, my question to you is, are you good with this? Are you good with this? I mean, just stepping outside of yourself, do some more lower body breaths. Let's just do them now. Is that is that cool with you? What I've just described? I mean, can you at least allow yourself to just make that assumption that if I am right, and this is what we're going to get, is that how you view the future of our liberal democracy? I mean, it, I'll go a step further. I'm just going to give some cautionary notes now, if that's okay. And I realize that this is such a turbulent time and nobody's listening, but I just on the off chance that somebody's listening here, even one person, one potentially right-minded person who could go into their own community or arena and make a difference if they just stepped out of themselves for a second and listened to me and maybe considered my vision of the future as not so far off. 
if you're listening to this and you've used the loose talk of war, civil war, calling people insurgents, insurrectionists, they need to be re-educated, or those people, if they don't stop killing babies, we're going to have to take them out, right? If you've used that kind of language in a morally superior way, but yet excused similar actions in your own camp, and you know it down in your gut when you're still at night, my caution to you is that if you haven't heard the crack of a bullet go over your head, if you haven't taken the life of another human being and watched it bleed out of them, if you haven't held a loved one and watched the life go out of them as they take their last breath and ask you to tell their wife or their mom that they love them, but they can't even finish their sentence and, and your hands are covered in their blood. If you haven't done any of those things, you might want to slow your roll on the talk of civil war, insurrection, and insurgency, and how you label the people across from you. Because the reality is, if you're gonna if you're gonna be big enough to throw those words around and allow what comes with that level of contempt to manifest, then you need to be prepared for what I just described to you. Because that is the end game at a very personal level. That is what you can expect. That is the return on your investment. Now, I saw an example of this not too long ago where, um, again, in a conservative circle, this this person was screaming for um, civil war. And I guarantee you, if this person heard the crack of a round, they'd probably crap themselves. They've never been around it. And then another guy that writes a letter for the music industry was, was calling another group uh, the unwashed, right? I mean, it was like seriously like something straight out of a Stalinist propaganda film. You know, and if we're doing that, we are one or two steps away from overt violence and feud. Okay. And when you're doing that kind of spew, it tells me typically you've never really been around true unmitigated violence. And so you're using the loose talk of war as bravado and and getting caught up. And in many cases, unintended. I think it's it's this trance-like state that Tyrell and Gibbons, uh, Griffin talk about in 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 uh, the Human Gibbons, where we get caught up in this state. Now, I also recognize that there's some people who are actively campaigning for civil war, taking up arms, who have been in violence. You know, there unfortunately are veterans who are in some of these groups right now, or other people who have fought in other places. They know exactly what they're getting themselves into. And to those person or that pe- person listening right now, if you are. My question to you is, is it on your bucket list to kill an American this year? Like, even if you've experienced and you're, you're adept at violence and surgical lethality and, you, and you, you have those martial skills, think long and hard about what it is that you're about to take on here, right? You have to do a lot of, of deep work to villainize an American citizen to the point that you're willing to take their life, you know, in a premeditated way toward an ideological cause. And my my recommendation is we are nowhere near that right now as a society. We are far too resilient as a liberal democracy to go down that road. We have skipped a bunch of steps here and we need to slow our, slow our roll. We've gotten caught up in this trance-like state. And look, there are leaders out there who are culpable of this 
even if we've gotten caught up in it. But when you add in social media, mobile devices, um, 24 hour news cycle, there's a lot of things triggering us and radicalizing us. And we've got to step away from this and, and, and help ourselves, help our neighbor uh, reel this back. Right. We've got to come out of this collective trance of anger before it's too late. So so I'm going to wrap this with what I think can be done. What, Scott, what can we be done if your prediction is accurate? And I think it is. And I'll stand by it. And, and right now, I know a lot of people aren't listening and a lot of people are going to throw spears at me and a lot of people are going to make assertions. I've tried to play this right down the middle. I've tried to I've tried to call out the divisionists on all sides of the issues. And I've tried to emphasize that how we treat each other right now is more important than the issues we're discussing. But there'll still be the contempt. There'll still be the spirits of anonymity. I expect it. But at some point, you mark my words, as a society, we will look up and it'll probably be in some ruins and smoke and we'll say, oh my God, what have we done? And when that happens, I hope that some folks start to circle back here and hopefully we've already built a growing movement around this thing and we can start to restore some sanity to our liberal democracy. So what do I think can be done? The first thing is we got to come out of this collective trance of anger before it's too late. We have to recognize that, the, that, that this collective trance-like state that we're in, where we are practicing divisionism, and demonstrating contempt for other groups who believe differently than us or look differently than us is a form of primal behavior that cannot stand. It is the antibody to civil society. It is the antibody to uh, a liberal democracy. It is the antibody to freedom. By its very nature, it's a group dynamic that, that demands your obligations to, to your group and only your group, not to yourself. That's where it ends. So recognizing that and recognizing that this state that we're in is taking us in that direction and that what we need to pursue is individualism rightly understood, a society where the individual is valued, but we have a tie, a reasonable tie to our past, to our ethnic heritage, to our race, to our religion, but also to a deeper sense of community and God willing, a common narrative that helps us all stand shoulder to shoulder. OK, but but we have to decide if we're going to lead toward that. You have to make a conscious decision as a leader. I would say stop asking yourself, what can I do? What can I do? That's a lame ass question. That's a lame ass question. If you've listened to even one episode of this podcast, I've told you things and I've suggested things that you could do. The question is, do they just make you too uncomfortable that you're not willing to do them or it's just not what you want to hear? Right. If you asking yourself right now, what can I do? What can I do? You've already given your power away. That's the first thing you can do is decide to lead, decide to lead, become a rooftop leader instead of a divisionist, become someone who bridges across trust gaps rather than someone who bonds with only the people who are like you. By definition, that will not work in a liberal democracy, and it will take us to the place that I described. So decide. The next thing is, and I'm speaking to the divisionists right now, if you're a politician, a corporate leader, uh, a group leader, and, and you have the microphone and you have power, stop using the loose talk of war. Just stop it right now. You've probably never been to war, and I understand that it's scary right now and that, that, that the other side is demonstrating behavior that is really dangerous. I get that. 
But if you don't stop the loose talk of war, the people who follow you will not either, and their blood will be on your hands. Their blood will be on your hands. And I have blood on my hands from men and women who died doing what I asked them to do, and men and women and kids who died as a result of what I did. And they shouldn't have. You don't want that on your hands. You don't. That's not a requisite of leadership. And it's something that I would never wish on anybody, particularly where we are right now, where we can reel this back. We've jumped a bunch of steps here for a civil society that is resilient as ours. So if you were a divisionist, and you know if you're a divisionist, again, if you are, if you are advancing the ideology, the ideology of your group over other groups, if you are dividing other groups by speaking with contempt so that you can advance your group or moral superiority and not hearing the other side and just advancing, then you are a divisionist right now. And at this point in our social evolutionary history, you are the most dangerous leader in this country. Do you understand that? You are a dangerous leader, not because of your ideology per se, but because of how you're trying to assert it. Because you are going back to our most primal dark side selves to advance your ideology at the expense of others in this society. And you are a divisionist. And if you are, please stop using the loose talk of war and contempt to advance your position. It goes far beyond what you think. Next, what can be done? What about the rest of us who maybe don't have the, 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 the quote-unquote microphone or the power, and we're asking, well, what can I do? I can't do anything. It's those friggin' politicians or it's those news media or it's those abortionists or anti-abortionists. Well, don't tolerate the loose talk of war in your presence. Don't tolerate it. And certainly don't partake in it. There's no need to be talking about civil war right now. There's no need to be talking about insurrection right now. Whether it's labeling someone else as that, or talking about doing it yourself. And certainly, if you're labeling someone else as that and then excusing similar behavior in your own circles, that has to stop. That has to stop. Because that's a step even further down the road toward feudalism and group dynamics that end in overt violence. Don't tolerate the loose talk of war. How we treat each other in our local arena right now is critical, not as much as the issue itself. When I talked to the elder statesman Edward Lujan of New Mexico, I said, what's missing from leadership today? He said, respect. There's no respect. And respect has to come from leaders who hold space and insist that the hard conversations be held in the context of respect. Where everyone feels safe, where everyone feels connected, and that we have a shared future together. And that's a leadership job. And if you are not advancing that for the entire arena that you lead, you are a divisionist and you are contributing to the downfall of not just this country, but your family and your community. So I would say stop partaking in the loose talk of war. Don't tolerate it when you hear it. When you, when you hear someone say, oh, they're just an insurrectionist. Hold on a second. Let's maybe, can we come up with a different term for that? You know, like just call it out. Like we're not in an insurrection. And even if they think they are, Make sure that you're assigning that term responsibly. Do you really know what an insurrectionist is, right? And, and, and Or are they just afraid and are they scared, whether they're in the Chaz zone or whether they're in the Capitol? 
Are those all true insurrectionists, hardcore insurrectionists bent on the overthrow and destruction of the country? And how much of that, if that's true, is fear-based? How much of that could be reeled back just with engagement, discourse, and dialogue? Is that harder? Yes, it's harder than just putting on body armor and bashing somebody with an ax handle in the short term. But in the long term, it is far better for our society. Don't tolerate the loose talk of war. Don't engage in the loose talk of war. And recognize that how we treat each other in the local arena is your job. And focus more on how we treat each other rather than on, on, on the issue itself. Because it won't matter. Because if we don't learn how to treat each other and create an environment where civil discourse can take place, we're not going to listen to each other anyway. We're going to slip into that trance-like state and we're going to go high order on each other. We're going to go into a sympathetic fight, flight or free state. Our cortisol is going to jack and we're going to go into all those things I talked about one conflict at a time. And it's rapidly accelerating. And we're going to go from these little churn twisters and cyclones into organizational sinkholes, which will then just feed on itself like an open blood feud. So we have to really look at look at your own arena right now. Look at your own your workplace, your team, your family. And just ask each everybody, hey, can we and have this conversation when risk is low, not when the emotions are high. Hey, can we agree that we're going to talk to each other? We're going to take care of each other. We're going to support each other and we're not going to use talk of war. And we're going to really hear each other first. Right. Come up with some rules for how you do that. And you think, well, that's just my family. What difference? It will make a huge ass difference because in all my time in special forces, what I did learn in those rough villages for about 18 months, we were able to actually bring a lot of local community engagement and, and, and help communities stand up in big ways. You know, we went from 75 farmers defending their homes to 30,000. And it was, it was similar to what we're talking about here. Leadership is local. What you do in your arena, what you do in your community, what you do in your workplace makes a huge difference. The tone that we set. Take Daniel Coyle's big three. Do the people in this arena feel safe right now? Can they speak their mind without repercussion and spears coming at them? Can I hold space to make that happen? Do they feel connected to each other? Is there a connection that runs deeper than the issue itself? Can I remind my people and the people I lead of how much we share, how much we have in common versus what we have apart? And then do we have a shared future together? As a, you know, as a leader, you have to be that storyteller that weaves what's possible for what can help us stand shoulder to shoulder, the common narrative that we must have to be unified. Can you create that space and hold that space? Just a few people at a time. And if you do that, it will it will show. You can model what right looks like. Right? Join us right here at this podcast. We're we're hitting this hard. We're gonna have guests on here that can help you do that. My commitment to you is that. And we're gonna do it for as long as we need to do it. But call out that loose talk of war and divisionism when you see it. Agree not to participate in that in your arena. Define your arena that way. Insist instead on bridging. Wherever there's bonding trust, I mean, bonding trust is easy. That's the emotional primal thing that we do. But bridging trust is hard. But it is the social capital that we need that creates the kind of diverse networks that will allow us to navigate these hard problems. So insist on bridging. As a leader, ask yourself, am I bridging right now or am I bonding? Right? And you'll get that. You'll get the honest answer. And bridge, especially when it's hard. Reduce your own exposure to war talk and overt actions of conflict. Right. Particularly anybody who is susceptible to this, my veteran friends, I'm imploring you get off these sites where you're you're sharing war talk with your with your brothers and sisters from combat. That's not healthy. It's not healthy. Right. It's not it's not the support group that you think it is when that language goes to that. It's not. 
right? Look to bridge, look to create connections and, and outside of that. And if, and, and this isn't just for veterans, this is anybody. When you are sharing moral superiority talk about other people who are citizens and how they are this and they are that, and we are this, you're getting in dangerous ground and you are slipping into a trance-like state that's going to be very hard to come back from. Reduce your exposure to that. Reduce your exposure to filtered news that just tells you what you want to hear and what you already believe, particularly in this time we're in right now. Not helpful, right? Try to listen more than you talk. Ask thoughtful, open-ended questions to people who are believed different than you with a sense of true discovery and curiosity so that you can see the pictures in their head. And don't offer your position until you're crystal clear on their pain and their goals. And then see if you can cite it back to them. That's actually what we're wired to do as humans. And when you do that, you automatically validate them, you lessen those trust gaps, you lower their emotional temperature, and you increase the propensity that they'll actually listen to what you have to say. And when it is your turn to talk, just say, would you mind, would it be okay if I share my perspective with you? My perspective, because shared perspective is one of the greatest things we can achieve right now. It's actually the social capital we need to even begin to discuss these issues. But in this time of being on the precipice of violence right now, we have to pull it back. Another thing when it comes to, you know, reducing your exposure to stuff is create sacred space for yourself. Sacred space for yourself. You need, according to the human givens, you know, they talk about one of the, the things that can cause extreme anger. One of the things is an, an unhealthy environment, right? And whether that's a dysfunctional family Or, as it says here, and I quote, many feel that they are drowning in a sea of gadgets and information with no real meaning or are perpetually frustrated by a growing lack of autonomy and control that myriad new laws and more and more bureaucracy are bringing us. Others find living in our lopsided, materialistic, greed-based society unhealthy and immoral. And I would say further, we are assaulted by social media and 24-hour news cycle that tell us we should believe and bond with the people like us and really be more suspect and contemptuous of those different than us, our own citizenry. So we need space to get away with that from that. We need sacred space and sacred time, whether it's going out to your shed and working on some stuff, doing some workouts, but really having sacred space to not just metabolize this negative energy, but to actually step outside yourself, make a deal with yourself, to step outside yourself and contemplate how your behavior is showing up and really question your own behavior. Am I getting caught up in tribal think here? Am I getting caught up in a movement that is inherently dangerous? Maybe have a trusted person who will tell you the truth on that. I'll tell you the truth. I promise. And I want you to tell me the truth. You know, I want you to tell me if you think that on this show, we're going too far down one side or another. I really make an effort not to. I want to know because I don't want to engage in that behavior. I know where it ends. And my hope is that you can step back and see that as well. But give yourself sacred space every day as part of your rhythm to get away from that. And and when you're in that sacred space, use it to be truly sacred as a way to like really evaluate your own actions and step outside yourself. It's an innate human given that we have a resource that no other animal on the planet has is to step outside our own behavior and analyze it. Think about that. So why would we surrender to the behavior that all other animals on the planet have, which is vengeance and, and, and pursuing our own resources blindly? That's not going to serve us. That's not going to, that's going to put us where we're surviving, not thriving. It's only when we can step outside our own behavior that we can do that. So use sacred space for that. Hang out with other rooftop leaders. We're building a really cool community that, that doesn't tolerate divisionism. We, we call it out. We don't allow in-group, out-group behavior to, you know, define us. 
right? That, sure, we need our issues and our policies and things we stand for, of course. But we're going to, we're in, in rooftop, we're going to focus on how we treat each other. That's our movement. We're creating a movement of 10 million rooftop leaders in 10 years who are going to create environments of how we treat each other well, not unwell. And then finally, I would just say, step outside yourself again and evaluate your own uh, divisionism. Consider your emotional temperature. Consider the contempt you're throwing for showing for others. Are you showing moral superiority, superiority or assigning labels when you're, you're not assigning labels to people in your own in-group who demonstrate similar behavior? And do it while you're in that sacred space. Look, we need each other. There was a recent uh, article, Sebastian Younger talks about it, conservatives and liberals. One of the oldest, most ridiculous arguments is conservatives and liberals trying to exterminate each other. They need each other, right? They need each other. Jordan Peterson said recently that liberals have something very important to say that conservatives need to hear about progression in society. And, and liberals need to listen to conservatives because they have a tendency to understand how to hold things together. And that's just for starters. There are plenty of actual opponents and enemies to our liberal democracy sharpening their knives right now as they watch us tear each other apart. And, and we had better believe that if we don't pay attention to that, they will move on us. And that might be the wake-up call that brings people back to this conversation. And I pray to God that it's not, because there actually are groups out there that will move on our remote combat outpost called America. And how we fight for each other and how we show up for each other will determine whether or not that becomes a reality. The outcome is ugly and predictable if we don't pay attention to the path we're on. But the outcome is also predictable and one of abundance and, 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 and individual freedom if we show up and lead. But leadership comes from the community. Leadership starts locally. It is not, it is not a, it's something that is empowered on us from on high. And we've got to stop giving our power away that way. Yes, fear is contagious. And what's happening right now is contagious if we allow it to be. But so is leadership. And that's what we need right now is leaders just like you who step into the arena and say, I'm not good with this. This loose talk of war must stop. We're going to bridge. We're going to connect. And we're going to develop a story that is our own. And that's what our kids deserve. Make sure you uh, sign on to our podcast. We're going to keep them rolling, particularly through these challenging times right now. We're here for you. Don't give up. Keep fighting for something bigger than yourself. Keep fighting for a society that bridges not bonds. Thanks for what you do. I'll see you on the rooftop. 